0: Podcast Ray Savonarola part 17. <laughs> today. We're...
1: His ghost comes back, uh, aka Marley, <laughs> and uh, he, he has some things to say. No, uh, hopefully, we won't do that to the people, especially Tom. Tom is like, God damn especially it, guys! Tommy G. Yes,
0: yeah. Tommy G. <laughs> we're
1: all... The richest
0: gifts are occasionally seen to be showered. As by celestial influence on certain human beings, nay, they sometimes supernaturally and marvellously congregate in one sole person, beauty, grace, and talent being united in such a manner that to whatever the man thus favoured may turn himself. His every action is so divine as to leave all other men far behind him, and manifestly to prove that he has been specially endowed by the hand of God Himself, and has not obtained his preeminence by human teaching or the power of man. Mm. This was seen and acknowledged by all men in the case of Cameron Riley, <coughs> in whom, to say nothing, oh. oh. Sorry, no, it's uh, Leonardo da Vinci. I, I, <laughs> a close second. I just assumed, well, yeah, 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 just yeah. assumed that well, they was talking about me.
1: I was going to ask, as you were doing your research, Did at any point did you go, this, this is like looking into a mirror? Oh, my God. Yeah, really, it was, it, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me finish. This was seen and acknowledged by all men in the case of Leonardo da Vinci, in whom, to say nothing of the beauty of person mm-hmm. which yet was such, ...that it has never been sufficiently extolled. There was a grace beyond expression which was rendered manifest without thought or effort in every act and deed, and who had, besides, so rare a gift of talent and ability, that to whatever subject he turned his attention, however difficult, he presently made himself absolute master of it. Extraordinary power was, in his case, conjoined with remarkable facility." and mind of regal boldness and magnanimous daring. His gifts were such that the celebrity of his name extended most widely, and he was held in the highest estimation, not in his own time only, but also, and even to a greater extent, after his death. Nay, this he has continued and will continue to be by all succeeding ages. Sounds right. That is Vasari's introduction... To Leonardo, written, you know, fifty years right. after Leonardo's death, give or take. Um, but I mean, he might might have exaggerated a bit. He was only about Barely. nine. He was only about nine years old when Leonardo died. But I think it's fair to say that the bit yeah. about his reputation continuing for all ages, fucking spot on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, well done Vasari <laughs> for pointing that out. And while he may have been exaggerating a bit in some of that, we have many other testimonies about Leonardo written by people who knew him, who say the same thing. Yeah. This guy was incredibly handsome, incredibly talented in every field, uh, just articulate, erudite, uh, and everyone, even in his day, were scratching the head going, "Where did this guy?" Come from?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm glad you started with that because one, it reminded me of seven years ago when we started with Julius Caesar, and we acknowledged that Julius Caesar, as far as we could tell, had many gifts. He was a good speaker. He was a good writer. He was a, a brilliant general and tactician. He could motivate men. He seemed to um, have a personal charm. Men or women, it didn't really seem to matter. He, he seemed to be almost like the full package, where Leonardo is the full package. And as I was going through this, and I'm like, you know, and we're going to get into this in the show, but so many things came together... To make Leonardo who he was, it ha- it almost feels like it has to be the hand of God. So my family and I will be going back to church this Sunday because I th- this is obvious proof that God exists and He did tap Leonardo on the shoulder, didn't tap me. I can tell you that. But uh, this guy was everything to everyone—just beautiful, graceful, intelligent, t- uh, tireless—and as we're going to see, I mean, he he just like you said, he could he could do almost anything. If he put his mind to it. And he did. He did. He was
0: talented in almost every field. Science, engineering, Mm. painting, sculpture, medicine, music, poetry, sports. Handsome and strong. Yeah. Basically just like us. I mean, we are.
1: Pretty much.
0: We are the Leonardo da Vinci's (laughs) of podcasting. I mean, let's let's be honest. I don't think anyone...
1: Anybody? I don't would think anyone's going to debate no, that? Yeah, no, yeah. No.
0: yeah. There's this great story about Leonardo that I wanted to open with. Um, when he was about 30 years old, around about 1482, he was born in 1452. Mm. He wrote to the ruler of Milan, Ludovico Sforza, mm. listing the reasons he should hire him. Basically, a job application, right? And um, I have a copy of the letter here. I thought I'd read it out. Cool. My most illustrious lord. Having now sufficiently seen and considered the achievements of all those who count themselves masters and artificers of instruments of war, and having noted that the invention and performance of the said instruments is in no way different from that in common usage, I shall endeavour while intending no discredit to anyone else to make myself understood to your excellency for the purpose of unfolding to you my secrets Hmm. and thereafter offering them at your complete disposal and when the time is right, bringing into effective operation all those things which are in part briefly listed below. One, I have plans for very light, strong and easily portable bridges with which to pursue and on some occasions flee the enemy and others sturdy and indestructible either by fire or in battle easy and convenient to lift and place in position, also means of burning and destroying those of the enemy. 2. I know how, in the course of the siege of a terrain, to remove water from the moats, and how to make an infinite number of bridges, mantlets and scaling ladders and other instruments necessary to such an enterprise. 3. Also, if one cannot, when besieging a terrain, proceed by bombardment, either because of the height of the glasses or the strength of its situation and location, I have methods for destroying every fortress and other stranglehold unless it has been founded upon a rock or so forth. Four, I also have types of cannon, most convenient and easily portable, with which to hurl small stones almost like a hailstorm. And the smoke from the cannon will instill a great fear in the enemy on account of the grave damage and confusion." 5. Also, I have means of arriving at a designated spot through mines and secret winding passages constructed completely without noise, even if it should be necessary to pass underneath moats or any river. 6. Also, I will make covered vehicles safe and unassailable which will penetrate the enemy and their artillery, and there is no host of armed men so great that they would not break through it, and behind these the infantry will be able to follow, quite uninjured and unimpeded. 7. Also, should the need arise, I will make cannon, mortar and light ordnance of very beautiful and functional design that are quite out of the ordinary. 8. Where the use of cannon is impracticable, I will assemble catapults, mangonels, trebuchets, and other instruments of wonderful efficiency, not in general use. In short, as the variety of circumstances dictate, I will make an infinite number of items for attack and defence. Nine. And should a sea battle be occasioned, I have examples of many instruments which are highly suitable, either in attack or defence, and craft which will resist the fire of all the heaviest cannon and powder and smoke. Ten. In time of peace... I believe I can give as complete satisfaction as any other in the field of architecture and the construction of both public and private buildings and in conducting water from one place to another. Also, I can execute sculpture in marble, bronze and clay. Likewise, in painting, I can do everything possible as well as any other, whoever so he may be. Mm. Moreover... Work should be undertaken on the bronze horse, which will be to the immortal glory and eternal honour of the auspicious memory of his lordship your father and of the illustrious house of Sforza. And if any of the above-mentioned things seem impossible or impracticable to anyone, I am most readily disposed to demonstrate them in your park or in whatsoever place shall please your excellency, to whom I commend myself with all possible humility."
1: Don't think that's possible. Well, okay. Observe, <laughs> observation and a question. One, it sounds like he's seeking a job at the R and D uh, department of Bruce Wayne Manor, um, Wayne Industries, because yeah. he's going to work for Man, Batman, really? yeah, yeah, or Iron no, Man, it's, either it's, one. that's good. Stock,
0: stock, industry, Stark industry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> There we go. Because I, no, I was thinking about the uh, yeah, the Batman suit, bulletproof, you can do all these things. But why didn't he lead with his? clear talent as an artist the painter the sculptor because this is the renaissance why not lead with your best foot forward i'm wondering
0: well i think that's the point of this mm-hmm. he for us leonardo is famous as a painter mostly right. we think leonardo we think painting we might also think notebooks and that kind of stuff right. and you know his flying machine and things like that but really i think most of us we think leonardo painter Right. For Leonardo, we think of him as an artist. For Leonardo, that was just a throwaway thing. Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm I'm I can also paint better <laughs> than genius. anyone. Suck it, bitches. Like, that that wasn't a great way to earn a living, as we know, in right. the Renaissance uh, until Leonardo. Like, right. really, it was uh, this guy, middle middle of the Renaissance, 1400s, when painters started to be able to name their price. But mm-hmm. before that, you were just a working guildsman. It was a, you know, you, you were basically no different from yeah. somebody making bricks. Um, so he he, you know, he is going with the stuff where he thinks there's good money to be had. Listen, I can build you war machines. I can help you win wars because that's where the money is. Yeah. Is By the way, yeah. I can could, I could also paint... Better than any motherfucker out there, <laughs> but you know, outside if, of if that, if you
1: need that, so so he went to yeah. Stan and Barry and said, "Look, if you could take a look at this letter, my resume, I'm going to send it off. Tell me what order." And they're like, "No, no, 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 son, you got to drop this painting down to the last chat, the last uh, paragraph, or whatever. Push yeah. this other stuff up, co- copy and paste, and then send it. You're all good, son."
0: So that's the first uh, thing that I find fascinating with this. The second is, yeah. oh yeah, I'm so humble. Yeah, listen, I am the greatest person <laughs> who has ever lived. Well, uh, he's basically he's trumping this whole thing. I'm the greatest. Yeah. The best. Have the greatest mind. People tell the me. The greatest painting. Yeah. People tell me I'm the greatest. It's hard of I'm so humble too. Right. I'm also the greatest at humility. I'm the greatest. <laughs> Can you Most be? humble person. Right. <laughs> no one. No one is better at humility than I am. I'm the greatest. So say I. Yeah.
1: But well, <laughs> let me ask. Let me ask you this though. I mean, all those things that he talked about. Um. He also said in that letter he could produce them if requested of um of uh the duke. Was that part true or were these a lot of these ideas that we're going to go into these inventions still in his head or in his notebook? I mean, had they been physically made yet? Because that's that's a that's a kind of a risky thing to go, "Oh, and I can produce them on demand if you would so like me to." I mean, I hope he can back that up because because if I remember correctly, weren't a lot of things still bouncing around in his head or written down in his notebook.
0: Well, we'll get to that later on. But the other big question here is, why is he sending a job application to Sforza in Milan? Yeah.
1: Why is he leaving?
0: He's a a Florentine. Yeah. Why Why isn't he offering this to Florence? Why is he offering this? Why is he going outside of the family? Um but, you know, and we know that various stages, the Florentines were had an alliance with Milan. Hot and cold. And then they were at war with yeah. Milan. But mostly yeah. friendly with Ludovico Sforza. Yeah. Thanks to uh, Lorenzo, I think. But, listen, we'll, we'll get, get to it. that in yeah. due course. Yeah. Now, my introduction to the idea of the Renaissance mm-hmm. and to Leonardo da Vinci was when I was about eight years old. Right. My, my grade three teacher in Bundaberg, Barry Huff, told us about Leonardo. And I still remember this. It's one of the few memories that I have from childhood. Right. I remember him talking about Leonardo and saying that he was a Renaissance man, the glass guy who knew everything about everything. Right. Now, I didn't know anything about Leonardo or the Renaissance, but I decided at then and there... Mm-hmm that I wanted to know everything about everything. I wanted to be Ah, a renaissance man. So I dedicated my life to reading and studying everything that I could get my hands on. Science, uh, technology, philosophy, the arts, uh, history, you name it. Right. Politics and today i think i can say oh, yeah. with a high degree of authority that i am a renaissance podcaster right. which I, I think is even more impressive quite honestly because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whatever you want to say about leonardo yeah. he never made a podcast now That's it's true <clears> he <throat> probably wrote it down he Go didn't ahead. he did invent them yes, in his <laughs> in one of his notebooks yeah. I think it's one of the one that Bill Gates owns. It right. does say, you know, uh, I have this idea for a thing called a, an iPod. It's got a little wheel on it. Um, it You would you would you, would, you, you it. would talk into a right. thing I call a microphone. <laughs> you'd record it. You'd put it on this thing, and people would be <laughs> able to download and listen to it. Now, haven't quite worked out the details right. yet
1: of anyway, things
0: just, like electricity, but I'll get there. Yeah, I'm working on it. It's
1: you know. <laughs> just a matter of time. I, I did want yeah. to say... I me did, and
0: Ben Franklin are working on it. Right. We've, we've been yeah. emailing each other it's, about it's how team. we're going to yeah. yeah, make it work. Yeah, him, me, me, Ben Franklin and uh, Nikola Tesla, we're working on it. This, this fucking guy Edison keeps trying to steal yeah. our work. That's why I write backwards in my notebooks. That's right. So Edison can't steal my shit.
1: Oh, my God. I did want to ask, uh, because there were some things about, there were some of his inventions that I did know uh, before we started, and some I didn't know, like the robot knight, which we'll go into later. But I was a little surprised that you didn't use his uh, parachute invention for when you did your parachuting when you turned 50. I thought for sure you would have made it by hand, 23 feet across and 12 feet deep, and you would have jumped out of a plane with a pyramid-looking parachute. I think that would have been badass, and you would have been all over Mm. the news. News, but maybe next time.
0: How do you know I didn't? Did you see the no, parachute that I was using? You that's that. true.
1: Uh, you know what? Yeah, you I want to apologize here and now. Um, you probably okay. did. I, I apologize. I, did I, I send retract. you the
0: video of my job? I don't think so. I don't think yeah, so. I've got to send you the video of my okay. job. Okay. Cool. Um, now, I, it, as I said before, we tend to think of Da Vinci as an artist, but it was really just a side hustle for yeah. him, as we'll yeah. see as we go. He was really a scientist... And an engineer. Now, mm-hmm. 20 years ago, I was lucky enough to see the Da Vinci notebook that Bill Gates Ooh, owns. Right. The Codex Leicester. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. going to get that right so Martin Darlington doesn't send me an okay. email. <laughs> um,
1: you know, can I just say real quick, it must be nice to be like Leonardo, knowledgeable about practically every fucking thing. We all can't be MDs or Leonardo's, but good for him. Uh, for being that kind of person, knows everything, yeah. corrects everybody, on the ball like Martin Darlington. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Sends us, yeah, sends us correction emails <laughs> uh, three times a week, which makes us better. The Codex Leicester, yes. uh, also known as the Codex Hammer, which I think is a better name, quite honestly, mm-hmm. right. uh, is one of the notebooks of uh, Da Vinci. It's named after Thomas Coke. Um, the uh, uh, Earl of Leicester. He bought it in 1719. Right. Currently holds the record for the second highest price of any book ever sold. Damn. Bill Gates bought it uh, at Christie's Auction House 11th of November 1994 for US $30,802,500. The equivalent in in 2019 dollars of about $53,222,898 <laughs> uh, and 79 cents. And it's mostly about the movement of water, a little bit about the moon, a little bit about fossils of sea creatures being found in mountains. But when Bill was out here for the Olympics in 2000, he um, brought it with him and the high-res scans of it and translations nice. and animated things and it was at the sydney museum or no the sydney powerhouse museum as it was at the time and uh, got to got to see it got to see the thing it was pretty special um but yeah there you go um that's my introduction to our da vinci series
1: uh and don't forget the uh the couple of pages or whatever it was of concave mirrors that we'll go into later on um the man was just obsessed and um yeah, as we're going to find out, you know, we talk about the humanists, we talk about the Renaissance, but it's true—it's truly people like Leonardo that figure out along the way that, you know, art and science are just 2 the two sides of the same coin. And uh, as we said before, it's the people in Florence who are bringing these different disciplines together. They're able to make superior products. They're able to make a lot of money and get rich and all that stuff. And Leonardo is going to take that concept to a whole new level. This guy was just picture, um, I guess a child who is curious and wondrous about everything that he sees and he never grows up. I mean, this guy is just obsessed. He's a super observer. He notices birds. And one day he's thinking about a flying machine. Who in the hell in the 15th century is thinking about a machine that can fly? I mean, this guy just, he scans everything. He writes it down because he doesn't want to forget it. It's all in his book. And correct me if I'm wrong. His, his notebook is like what, just over 7,000 pages and every little bit of paper is covered up with what uh, equations or drawings or observations or lists of people that he wants to talk to. So his entire life is in there as far as anything can be. But just picture someone who was curious about everything and would never, ever stop pursuing knowledge um, and, and, and finds ways to make it into reality as much as he can, given his level of technology at the time. He just breaks boundary after boundary.
0: So, Leonardo was born in 1452 in the town of Vinci, about 40 kilometres west of Florence, the same year that Gutenberg started printing his Bible.
1: See... I'm glad you mentioned that because we're going to go through here. We're going to list all these different things that came together in the perfect storm, if you will. He's born near Florence. He's born at a time when books are becoming a lot more common. He's born at a time when when Florence is um is open to new ideas, crazy ideas. And if you and if you're unconventional, if you're an unconventional figure, they actually like that. You're not shunned. So all these different aspects of history, culture, whatever, come together, and he is born at the perfect time and i can see why people would go oh my god it had to be the hand of god that made this possible because there's so many things that's going to break his way or be there for open to him that you do have to wonder if there wasn't a higher power somehow guiding all of this
0: no i don't need to wonder no. that because <laughs> um, i was
1: trying to have uh, a little romanticism uh, there but no
0: uh, stupid. That's the kind of thinking, right. that has led your country was... over the edge into the abyss hey, look, that it is currently. No, in. no,
1: I, no, no. I pray every day, and every day, as far as I know, I don't have COVID. Okay, that's not true, but that's what some people in my country mm. think. So you're not yeah, wrong.
0: You 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 pray that you were to be two feet taller and a dick three and inches longer, and it's uh, or the
1: other way around. But the point is, it hasn't happened. It does hasn't happened.
0: No, D- but D- D- D'Angelo, <laughs> D'Angelo knocked on your
1: door. <laughs> so Heather got her wish, but I didn't get mine. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, but seriously, <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's <laughs> as as we go through this, you're just going to see all these things, kind of just are there for him. It's just the perfect time for him to be born in the place that he is. And again, I just find. I guess you can call that historical forces, maybe. But again, it it is kind of staggering. And don't get me wrong, he works very hard and he takes advantage of it. But things are perfectly placed for him in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. But uh, look, you're right that he was born at a very opportune time Mm. for someone of his nature. And it's the same as Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. True. Like I got a friend of mine, he and Cath, we talk about this a lot. Like the best time to be born in the 20th century, the best year to be born was 1955. Really, 55. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, so it was after World War II, right? Um, they 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 were too young to go to Vietnam, mm. um, and by the time they were 20, 1975. Technology was just starting to come along. Right. Um, It was sort of the boom time economically in the US. The best place and time to be born in the 20th century was America in 1955. I can see that. Because you were just perfectly placed uh, with all of the forces working to your advantage. Ten years later, ten years earlier, you know, not good. (laughs) Right. Not as good. That was sort of the perfect time. And Leonardo was born at the perfect time in the perfect place for him as well. But I don't like the whole, you know, divine aspect of it because really this is a story of a guy. Of course, he's intelligent but and he's he's given opportunities, as we'll see. But he is insanely curious. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like people, again, okay, look, I know I uh, compare myself to people like Da Vinci a lot facetiously. But... For years, people have said, wow, you're so smart. Because I know a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff. And people go, oh, Cameron, you're so fucking smart. I'm going, no, I'm not. I'm not that smart, really. I've just read a lot of books, right? right? Because I'm curious. It's a big difference. This is what I try and teach my my kids. It's not about – you can't do anything about how smart you are. You're born with a certain level of intelligence. Mm -hmm. But what you can affect – is how much you put into your brain, how much you read, right. how much you listen to, how much good information you put into your head. Like this podcast. And I was lucky. Yeah, <laughs> I was lucky enough. Best best source of dick jokes you'll find. I was I was <laughs> lucky enough when I was uh, eighteen or nineteen, something like that, to meet a guy who told me to read books. He said, right. just you know, invest in your brain. Read non-fiction books about everything, mm. and I—I I did. I took him seriously, and I've been doing that my entire life, and yeah, so I know a bit about a lot of things. Right. honestly, you I expose
1: yourself, you apply yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I find it interesting, and I have a level of curiosity where I want to—I want to understand how did this happen, how did that happen, how did where how did we get here, where are we going, and I'm—I'm I'm interested in that kind of stuff. But Da Vinci. Yeah, he worked hard and he was insanely curious and he was a complete bastard, (laughs) which is lucky for us and for him, but for us, he was born out of wedlock. Now, if he had been legitimate, Mm -hmm. he probably would have been forced to become a notary. Commit suicide. Which was the (laughs) tradition for the first-born sons in his family. What? His great-great-great-grandfather, Michele mm-hmm. da Vinci, had been a notary in Vinci in the 1300s. Right. Michele's son and grandson were also notaries, and his grandson even became Chancellor of Florence at one point. Damn. One of his great-great-grandsons, Piero, was a notary working in Florence. Mm-hmm. His office was what is now the Bargello Museum oh. uh, across the piazza from the Palazzo della Signoria. Right. He worked for the churches and the Jewish community in the Medici. One day, he was in his early 20s, went back to Vinci to see the family, mm-hmm. and he knocked up a young single peasant girl. And on the 15th of April, 1452, she gave birth to Leonardo.
1: Yeah, it was around, she gave birth around 10 p.m. that night, for those of you who care. But uh, yeah, basically, he, he travels back and forth between Vinci and Florence. And like you said, on one of those trips, he whips out his phone, you'll see, brings up tender, swipes right, hooks up. Poor peasant girl, whatever, and yes, yeah, he gets her pregnant or whatever. Now we we eventually find out on a tax record that her name is Caterina. Uh, she was a poor, sixteen years old from Vinci. Uh, her name was Caterina Lippi. She was orphaned when she was fourteen, so he's not exactly winning any credit here. You know, he's taking advantage of a young, innocent, probably naive girl who might have done it for money. Who knows? But the point is, now she's pregnant or whatever. But here's the thing. He's already or about to be betrothed to someone else, Albietta, who is the daughter of a successful Florentine shoemaker. So he's getting some on the side, but he's already got his life lined up. He can't marry some peasant girl. I got you pregnant. I'm really sorry. Let me see if I can help you out. But I've got my life on track. But here's the thing. And we, I think we've talked about this before, because he is one of the well-to-do, you your reputation is not ruined just because you bang some girl on the side and you knock her up. Yes, you have to deal with it. Don't get me wrong. But it's like the people are, the people in Florence and the people in Vinci are like, yeah, no, that stuff kind of happens all the time. So it's not a career killer for him. He's got to deal with it, but his life will go on. And now he's got to worry about this young lady and the son that's just been born. But she was, wasn't even
0: considered important enough. No to get a mention on his birth certificate or <laughs> baptism records her yeah yeah <coughs> the mother yeah you know now she was she, she was 16 and her name Caterina Lippi was only discovered by researchers in 2017
1: oh i did not know that
0: Wow. The theories for the last 500 years right. were that she she might have been a slave girl, an yeah. Arabic slave or a Chinese slave, <gasps> and that's why she didn't turn up on any of the documents because it was a bit embarrassing, right. et cetera, et cetera. Um, but no, no, she was born to a poor farmer, and orphaned when she was 14. Then she and her baby brother moved in with their grandmother, who also died a year later. Um, So when she was fucking Piero, he was 24. Right. And he was relatively successful. He had a good job, came from a well-to-do family. Uh, I mean, they were middle class. They're notaries. They're not Medici, but, you know, they're they're doing okay. (laughs) She was probably trying to find herself a husband to take care of her and her baby brother. But as you say, he was already betrothed uh, and he got married eight months after Leonardo (laughs) was born. But he he wasn't a cunt. No. So after Leonardo was born, Piero set up a marriage for Katerina to a local farmer. Thank you who had ties to the Da Vinci family. Right. His name was Antonio Di De Piero del Vaca. God. But he was known as Acatabriga, mm-hmm. which means troublemaker. <coughs> but apparently he wasn't one. So it was one of those jokey nicknames. Right. Like you, people call you, uh, you know, big, uh, big Dick. Right. Big Dick. Yeah. But it's a joke because you're know, tiny penis. <laughs> it's a bit of a mean mean, mean It joke, is.
1: Like this was. It's hurtful. Yeah. Now, again, and, and uh, we're... Well, your penis isn't hurtful. No, no. You hardly, it's hardly so tell small. it's there. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, as long as I'm happy. To no, no, no. But, I think we all get it. <laughs> Thank you, Camp. No, but... It's, it's, <laughs> Here's the thing, though, out of all the things that we know about Leonardo, we don't know every little tiny detail, which is sad, because, again, this guy is fascinating. We're not sure exactly where he was born, because there's the family house um, in Vinci in the center, but then there's this gray stone tenant cottage about two miles outside of town. Uh, so we're not sure exactly where he's born. But but that's not really the point, because he's got his father, Piero, who is going to look after him. He sets up this marriage, and so it looks like this young boy uh, this baby is going to have you know, he's going to have a mother and he's going to have a father and he's going to have an extended family if you will because of the da vinci so he might i think he splits his time between the two but for right now even though his up uh, his uh the the reason he was created is kind of unusual because somebody was banging somebody on the side it looks like he's going to have a support base you know at least early on in his life so good for him
0: Piero was there for the birth and the baptism then he returned to Florence <coughs> here to get back to work. Where
1: can I gotta go. Leonardo never mentioned
0: the story or his childhood in anything right. that uh, that has survived from his writings but he does have this to say at one point about children mm-hmm. the man who has intercourse aggressively and uneasily will produce children who are irritable and untrustworthy huh. but right? If the intercourse is done with great love and desire on both sides, the child will be of great intellect, witty, lively, and
1: lovable. Um, said based on science? Because I picture Pierrot taking this 14 or 16-year-old girl in the back alley up against the wall of a, of a tavern or something versus taking her into the Four Seasons Hotel or whatever. So I don't know what kind of lovemaking was going on at the time, but he was conceived. So which one do you think he's thinking of himself? Do you think he, that he, his father was running like a sheep or was making sweet love to this 16-year-old girl? I, could, I guess that's a, like a little window into his soul, the observation that he wrote down.
0: Yeah, it might be. Well, obviously, he's got great intellect and is wittly, live, witty, lively, and lovable. So, yeah, so, it, may, it may be autobiographical. It well, may not. Sure. But it may be. Sure. No, Katerina and her husband had five more children. Damn. Piero and Albiera had none. <laughs> yeah. But right. Albiera died when Leonardo was 24. Mm -hmm. So they were together for like 24 years, no kids. Then Piero remarried several times and had 11 more children with his third and fourth wives.
1: I mean, this guy, mm, yeah, he, he liked a good time. He liked a good time. And if he
0: was 24 when he knocked up Leonardo's mother and uh, his wife died when Leonardo was 24, Piero would have been 48, 49, and then he, you know, nearly 50. Then from that point on, he had 11 <laughs> children.
1: Is it the air? That's, is it the Italian air or something in the water? I mean, what yeah, the hell is going on yeah. with this guy? Well, Jeez. I think he
0: was looking at Leonardo going, well, fuck me. If I can produce 11 more Leonardo da Vinci's. <laughs>
1: Good, baby. Imagine yeah. that. What a, what a contribution yeah. to the planet. You're welcome. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Look at my my sperm, <laughs> my man. my My
0: sperm did that. There's a
1: statue to my penis. Come on. Right in the middle of town. Yeah.
0: Imagine those poor fucking kids. <laughs> you know, he's going... Well, uh, you know, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to be mean or anything, Lorenzo. But uh, when your brother Leonardo was six, he painted the fucking Mona Lisa. Um, first attempt. It's pretty good. Medici bought it for like a million <laughs> sesterces. No, what do they have? Wrong, 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 wrong currency. Florentines.
1: Uh, what, what, what the floor? What, what the fuck are you yeah. doing?
0: Yeah, no, are, you're Florence, in diapers. you. You're what, in what are in diapers. You, what, Get the fuck yeah. out. and
1: Do something. Yeah. But here's the other thing. Isn't he running out of you're names? You're such a fucking embarrassment
0: to the Da Vinci. Gotta change your name. You don't even deserve the Da Vinci name. You're, na- you're now. In- What's this? You're like, <laughs> look, you scu- you're, Like you're six, and all you can do is like sculpt fucking Qu- masterpieces. Quit eating the No, They no, 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 were doing shit. Come he on. goes, look, it's good. It's good, but it's no Da Vinci. Well, I am a Da Vinci. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not. Barely. Like, you know. a piece of shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you were almost a stain on your mother's dress. I mean, that's what we're talking here. But the point is, they've only got so many names in and, and Florence at the time. He probably started giving them numbers or making them wear jerseys. I mean, good God to keep up with that ever-growing house. It's a good thing he had money in the first place to, to care for all these children.
0: Indeed. Now, Piero seems to have kept in touch with Leonardo's mother and stepfather. Yeah. By the age of five, Leonardo seems to have been living with his grandfather, Antonio da Vinci, at his home in, in Vinci. He's mentioned in Antonio's tax records in 1457 as living in the house. Right. And I like the way, actually, I read uh, the entry for that. He actually His tax records actually say, I also have living in my house the bastard son <laughs> of my child, Piero. Uh <laughs> A bit of a tax ride. By the
1: way, yeah, I've got a little bastard. But see, here's the thing: his his grandfather Antonio, he was already retired, chilling, getting high in the afternoons, watching Netflix or whatever. So you've got to imagine the first couple of years of Leonardo's life. He's in the swanky house, you know. Life's pretty good. He's hanging out with his grandfather. He's hanging out with his uncle Piero's youngest brother. But at the same time, see, and, and this is even though Leonardo is not thinking about this, it's starting to get weird because he's of a well-to-do family but he's not really a part of the well-to-do family so that's going to come into play later on because like you said when we first started this is not going to be a normal course he's not going to grow up do the family business and, and take over one day or inherit a lot of money he's on the outside of a bit so this is going to come in and affect his life later on
0: but at least he's not a notary that's, so true. that's it, could be, it could be worse it
1: could be worse as you
0: said, living in the living in the grandfather's house was Piero's younger brother Francesco, who was only fifteen years older than Leonardo. Mm. They, they become very close. Right. Francesco's like a surrogate father to him. Yeah. But as you also said, the Renaissance was, as Jacob Burckhardt, the guy who wrote the you know the, the first book on the Renaissance and actually coined the term the Renaissance, oh, nice. uh, he said it was a golden age for bastards, <laughs> having a bastard. <laughs> wasn't embarrassing, at least if you're a member of the upper classes, yeah. middle and upper classes. You're eccentric. Many rich people... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Many rich people had or were bastards and weren't ashamed to admit it, Ooh. including popes. Right. Uh, Good point. Poets, artists, artisans born out of wedlock included Petrarch, Boccaccio, Ghiberti, Filippo Lippi, his son Filippino Lippi, Leon Battista Alberti, and of course Leonardo. Right. So their meetings, you know, it was yeah. Sorry. Yes. Once (laughs) a a year, the bastard society, the bastard club. (laughs) Yes. Oh, the league of extraordinary bastards. (laughs) And you have to say it like that, bastards. Bastards. Yeah. (laughs) So now, yeah, it kind yeah. of you were simultaneously inside and outside of the family, but it kind of forced you to be more adventurous. Yes, because you, you, you couldn't just inherit. You're not going to get the. You're not going to inherit the family profession. You, you, this is guild law. Guild oh, yeah. rules were bastards couldn't get a job in a guild. Right. So you couldn't get if your if your parent was in a guild, you couldn't get into his guild. Mm-hmm um you couldn't go and become uh, a a priest or a bishop or a cardinal that easily because yeah. the second born son usually gets sent into right. the church right although there were lots of bastards that ended up as in as cardinals and popes and that kind of thing but it, you know that usually that happened after somebody got a pope became a pope and they would make their bastard sons cardinals and that kind of stuff yeah. to cement the loyalty of the uh, the um what do they call it the curia mm-hmm. but You know, it it meant you had to go out there and make your own way. And as Leonardo found out later in life, being illegitimate also meant you might not get any of the family inheritance. The legalities of it were complicated. And And he had to sue later on in life to try and get his hands on some of the family money. Yeah
1: but as we 're going to see, I mean, like you said so he 's not going to go into the family business okay he 's not going to be sent into any of those fancy Latin schools and learn humanities or whatever he 's going to get a base education of commercial math from an abacus school, and so what basically what we 're saying is that I don't think a lot is expected of him. Maybe he had more free time than, than a firstborn son would. So he's going to turn out to be self-taught. He's going to turn out to be, because he has to be, to a degree, self-disciplined. If he wants anything in life, he's got to go out and get it. But like we said earlier, he, this guy is just intensely curious about everything. He's a free thinker. He's generally free to question everything, and so so it kind of works out for him because he is a thinker, he is an observer, he's also a doer, he's going to rack up a lot of experience in his very young, when he's still young in life, just kind of investigating and trying to satisfy his curiosity. So this could have been a death sentence for a lot of people, but it's going to work out for Leonardo because he is so self-driven, he wants to figure out why the why of everything. So this freedom is actually going to work out for him.
0: He actually wrote a song.
1: Oh, thank God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've never played this before. <laughs> nice. Some people call me a space, space cowboy. cowboy. Yeah. Some call me you the gangster, gangster of love. love.
1: Some people call me Maurice. <laughs> <laughs> Cause, Cause I speak, I
0: speak of, of the puppets of love. love. People, people talk about me, baby. baby. Yeah. See, I'm doing, doing, doing you wrong, doing you wrong. Well, don't you worry, baby, don't worry. Don't worry, don't worry, don't
1: worry mama. Because
0: I'm right here, right here, right here at home. Because I'm a picker, I'm a grinner, I'm a lover, I'm a sinner. Play my music in the sun. Joker, I'm a smoker, I'm, I'm a mid-night Get my loving on the run. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: fucking love that song. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he would do. He would spend his days thinking of podcasts and writing songs and getting high. Fucking great life. <laughs> 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 fucking great life. <laughs> yeah, great life. Great life. Until <laughs> so he's got to get a now, good career. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh he sometimes signed his name as Leonardo Da Vinci, della dell'esperienza, disciple
1: of experience. Nice. I'll we'll put that on the belt buckle. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's university of hard knocks what he <laughs> put himself down as. And he now, did. He did. The benefit of not having a traditional education, obviously, one of them, is that he had to learn how to think for himself, and he developed his own kind of scientific method, his own method of experimentation. Mm -hmm. He once wrote, first I shall do some experiments before I proceed further, because my intention is to consult experience first, and then, with reasoning, show why such experience is bound to operate in such a way. Nice. Now... I, again, I'm in all seriousness, not comparing myself with da Vinci, but I, I found the same thing, you know, because I didn't go to university. Right. And I decided to educate myself. You, you're reading all these books, and uh, when you're reading widely on a subject, and the first, I've told you this story before, but the, the first subject this happened with for me was Napoleon. Mm-hmm. I read Vincent Cronin's biography, and I was like, holy shit. Napoleon was awesome. How come I had this idea that he was like Hitler? Right. And then I read a different book on Napoleon and it said, no, no, he was Hitler. And I go, wow. hold oh, on a second. British writer.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they can't both be right. Right. So you go read another book and they go, well, <clears throat> he did some good, he did some bad. And you go, okay, well, that's more reasonable. And then you start to go, well, what are the facts? How about I just yes. look at the facts and. Reach my own conclusions about whether it was good or bad or how yeah. much of each rather than take the opinions of others i 'm going to be evidence based in my thinking i 'm going to i 'm going to look for the facts and then I will reach my conclusions after I have acquired enough facts and evidence yeah and I think that's a i mean it 's a great thing to have to do that whereas I think if you go to university, I know that you 're supposed to learn that at university, but I think you know if, if from what I've seen and, and heard, if you want to get a good mark, you need to basically agree with your professors. Yeah,
1: you, you come out molded in a certain, certain shape, a certain way of thinking, you're you know, basically. Wrote memorization, repeating what other people says, whereas this guy 's like i 'm not worried about how many angels can dance on the head of a pen, what works what doesn 't work, let me build some experience, let me try things myself i 'm going to apply myself and see you know see what 's really out there and what is like I said what works, and so that 's what he does. He literally spends his time in reality trying to figure things out because he has to know and, and I, I meant to say this earlier, but for him it 's like there is no why. I see a bird flying. I want to know why, uh, why how it's flying. I don't. I don't need to justify it. I see a leaf floating down from the uh, from a tree, going back and forth in the wind. There is no why. I just want to know why everything is the way it is, and that's what he spends a lot of his time doing. And because of his childhood, he has more time than others to pursue these questions of the universe.
0: Now, when he was twelve, fourteen sixty four, his Stepmother Albiera died in childbirth. Yes. Uh it would have been her. Hold on, I said he was twenty-four earlier.
1: I just assumed you jumped. Was that an example of something?
0: Yeah, no, I said my notes are wrong there. I said he was twenty-four. No, he he was twelve when his mother when his stepmother died. Um so fuck that. Okay, he was twelve when his stepmother died. Yeah. Yeah. And, 12.
1: Yeah. and around that time, or probably a little bit before that, Antonio, his grandfather, the uh, kicking back, his uh, grandfather had died as well. So things are—his world is changing fast because the people that were caring for him and taking care of him are no more. So now something is going to have to happen with this little Leonardo.
0: So his father— Pietro, his, his birth father, not right. his stepfather, his, well, yeah, adopted biological stepfather. Right. Yeah, his biological father, Pietro, took him to Florence yeah, to live with him. Right. Now, again, he, he rarely recorded stuff about his own life or his own emotions in his notebooks, but he did once write a little story, a fable, if you will, okay. about a stone that was sitting on a hill surrounded by flowers and trees, and wanted to be with the rest of the stone, so Aww. it rolled itself downhill. That's cute. But when it got down there, it got tired of being rolled over by carts and walked on by boots and horses, and oh. it wished it was back with the flowers. And he concludes the story by saying, this is what happens to those who leave a life of solitary contemplation and choose to come to dwell in cities among people full of infinite evil.
1: Ooh, so not happy Which, with the move. Maybe go ahead.
0: Well, it sounds like maybe that was his take. You know, he he was thinking fondly about his time growing up in the country and Vinci, right. and he didn't like the cities. But contrary to that, he basically spent nearly all of his adult life living in cities: Florence, right. Milan, Rome. That's where the work he is didn't, at. never went back to the country. Good point. Yeah, well, I guess that's good, right. That's where the point. work is at. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Got to make a living. Yeah. But but the point is his father had his uh, his wife. They didn't have any children. May Who knows why? But, yeah, something's got to happen with Leo. He gets taken to Florence. And as we know, because we've spent so many episodes, this is the perfect place for this young, creative, energetic, observant boy to be.
0: So he gets a basic uh, education. With his uh, his father in Florence. Um, But one thing his father didn't do, apparently, is have him legitimated. Mm. Which would have been a relatively easy thing for a notary to do. Yeah. Uh, And considering he didn't have any other children at this stage, or a wife, kind of a strange decision. Right. It might have been... That uh, because already at this age Leonardo was obsessed with drawing and sculpting, yeah. had zero interest in being a notary like his father, <laughs>
1: right. and
0: Pietro obviously would want his elder son to follow in the family tradition. And as I said before, the notary guild, no. along with the other guilds, had a rule that sons born out of wedlock who had been legitimized that could matter. not become a member. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the following year, Pietro married a woman six Years younger than Leonardo. Hell yeah!
1: Sorry, I just got excited. Sorry. Sorry.
0: No, that doesn't make any sense either.
1: Scrap that. That's what my book said. If Leonardo's 12... Oh, then she's six. Yeah! I, I'm against that. Hold on, take back what I said. Totally against that. I don't want to go to jail or hell. I'm sorry. <laughs> six years younger than maybe himself? Or... I don't know. He probably married someone young because he is an affluent notary, but not a six-year-old. We are not with that, or bestiality. Someone's got to start reviewing this material.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's your job. <laughs> is
1: it? Do you really yeah. want me doing that? Come on. Come no. on, Cam.
0: evidence, Mr. Evidence-based. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
1: No, he, so he marries again, ho- probably hoping for a legitimate child, but, cl- but the, the odds are he married someone very young, because why? He could.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, and she produces
0: his first heir, who indeed becomes a notary. So, boom. So, boom. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's it. I think that's where we leave episode one, okay. Ray. Leonardo's mm-hmm. in Florence with his dad what will happen next we will find out next time on uh, leonardo the leonardo series yeah, part two um yeah, yeah because
1: who's turned on who's turned on by this rope that you can't see that i'm pulling it's my penis i don't know how that's relevant i don't know but it's gold jerry it's gold